fascinating gadgets, gizmos, and gear-based technologies. Welcome to FGGGBT. This is the show that takes your favorite fictional science and technology and makes it a reality. And we, who are we? We are the Brain Trust. I am the analytical mastermind, Daniel J. Glenn. And with me, physics phenom, Dr. Michael Denon. Great to be here, Dan. And of course, next to him, we got our enigmatic engineer. I, I, are you still are you still broadcasting from an undisclosed location, enigmatic engineer Ben Seepser? Always undisclosed. Oh, <laughs> <it's> <laughs> very paranoid. Very paranoid. Yeah. Uh, I don't blame you because we're talking about some crazy stuff here. We always do. So we're going to tackle, we're going to do our best to tackle the Watchmen TV series. This is going to take us two episodes. We've got it broken down into two episodes. But let's talk about this show. Uh, so I'm going to give everyone, you see, watch the show first before you listen to this. We will have spoilers. Unfortunately, we can't avoid it. You know my feelings on spoilers. You also know Ben's feeling on spoilers. We're two opposites when it comes to that. But we are going to try to do our best to preserve the integrity of the show. But to do that, we've got to tell you about the science and technology, or what are we even talking about this for? So you guys got to watch this. You guys watched this uh, the entire season, correct? Yes. Pretty much, yeah. Pretty the parts much. I paid attention to. <laughs> right. <laughs> so let's talk about it. Let's, uh, ben, I wanna, I'm really curious. What you, what you think about this series as a whole? Uh, I, I mean, it was really fun. I really enjoyed seeing what the world would look like after the events of the comic book. I think that's mm. a really interesting thing to explore. Right. Is, okay, the squid incident happened. Now what? D mm -hmm. Does it work? And how does it work? And we find along the way that eh, it doesn't really work all that well right. in some cases. <laughs> right. Yeah, I think that that's great. I love revisiting this world again. And they did a nice job of incorporating the previous the previous set of people and introducing a lot of new great characters in a, in a fun new alternate history. That's even, you know, which that the whole world kind of fits in this kind of cool alternate history. Uh, so, so I totally agree with you. I really liked it. Dana, what did you think? Well, I really enjoyed it. Um, couple things as someone who knew nothing about the original comic book and failed to watch the actual movie. I did right. have to do some research, and I rarely do research before watching a show. Sure. But I was right. a little worried after hearing things people had said that I wouldn't understand a darn thing in the show, and I would not have. Um, research was key to this, which, again, very rare for me. I usually just watch and figure it out and hope it all makes sense. I also, you know me, Dan, uh, mm -hmm. first time through, I just enjoy everything. And then we, we think about the science, and I rate it a little bit on how the science goes. And I'm actually pretty happy. It helps that there's only one real actual super um, hero being with powers. Makes it easier to right. kind of make the science yeah. all work and fit together. So, you know, that's right. nice. But yeah. in an odd way, I was flashing back to fascinating fights. Huh. In our Dr. Manhattan episode. <laughs> right, right. Right. So a little, little, you know, plug for the old. And I right. was like... Oh, wow. If we had had this show out when we had that, I don't know if I would have gone the same way or not, you know? That's really interesting. Yeah. You know, it's funny because with this show, I was so into this show until episode eight. And I think Dr. Manhattan, and we're, he's our second episode, so we're not going to get too much into him. But he really is the key to the series, in my opinion. And we're going to talk about all the stuff that he does. But his introduction for better or for worse, changes the series completely, as it should, because he is an incredibly powerful being. Yeah. 
But so we're going to get to him and all of his kind of fantastical stuff later on. But with this one, right off the bat, we got some really cool technology. One of my favorites is right in you know right in one of the first couple episodes is when uh, when Angela is is she's walking around. She's trying to find some evidence and stuff. She throws on these kind of X-ray glasses. And for anyone who's listening, if you've ever played the game Batman, any of the Batman Arkham series, she has almost the exact same vision that he, that Batman has in those video games. Angela has when she's looking around an apartment and kind of stumbles across some kind of cool stuff. I like this. I think this is kind of one of those things that people have been really into. Uh, you know, X-ray, the whole X-ray technology, X-ray glasses. So, as far as from a science and technology standpoint, I'm going to go Ben first. How well did they do with this? Well, we don't have anything that works quite like this, but you could imagine a, a world where we combine a bunch of different imaging techniques together to get something similar like this. So we can think of like the backscatter X-ray machines that the airports used to have, where the, you it would shoot an X-ray at you, mm-hmm. and then the detector was on the same side, so it wasn't a through X-ray like a medical mm-hmm. X-ray right. where the the film, well, it's not film now, it's electronic film, is behind your knee, <laughs> right. and they shoot the x-ray through your knee. But the backscatter reflects off of you, and they could detect like that. And you could combine that with maybe some uh, thermal imaging mm-hmm. and maybe some electrical field measurements to like see you know, wires and things like that. And with all those different senses, I bet you could get something... And then, you know, a lot of AI or machine learning to put it all together. I okay. think you could get something approximating what angela had okay so not like the things you'd get in the comic books i'm sure Danny, you remember you could get like the x-ray specs and right like exactly that you would buy those, yeah th- those, that's not possible it's not right. quite like those i mean i think the cool thing um and and ben alluded to this the, the interesting thing about real x-ray technology that looks like this is that most likely it's not going to be dominated by using x-rays x-rays are best at going through stuff and that's how they've worked traditionally if you think about the new detectors that you stand in in the airport with your arms up, um, that's more like millimeter, millimeter wavelength yeah. stuff, right? What mm-hmm. we've learned is that other wavelengths of light, basically what your cell phone works on, are much mm-hmm. better at going partially through stuff and at the same time partially reflecting. And what it takes is just really, really good software and a really good understanding of electricity and magnetism to figure out what was inside the thing you looked at. And you're hmm. always just going to be mixing different wavelengths depending what materials you're looking at. So it's And it's kind of cool that way because if you're not doing x-rays, you actually can generate the, the radiation you need a lot easier. Look, our cell phone generates the right wavelengths all the time. Um, and so you could put it in goggles and not be killing yourself. Yeah. Well, it's funny because the first question I was going to ask is, can you create a pair of x-ray goggles that don't bombard you with enough radiation to turn you into the Hulk? I wasn't sure that even existed. Yeah, because you just don't use x-rays, Dan. <laughs> right. Yeah, there's your answer. Yeah. I, I think, yeah, the other thing to think about is like every – most of these imaging techniques work on differences in density and detecting that, you know, when you look at – when an x-ray – works on your body it can detect the bone versus the muscle because the bone is a lot denser than Mm -hmm. the muscle Mm -hmm. and when you look at a wall and you're trying to tell the sheetrock from the wires from the studs Mm -hmm. you could see that um you could see how that would be different with different technologies because those all have different densities and then of course what i thought was really interesting is what she's looking for or what she finds the clan rope it's like barely visible, like ghosts in and out. And mm-hmm. fabric might not 
be very visible with those technologies. Yeah, and I love seeing all the wires leading up to it. Like that was that was really cool. Yeah. There is a, I mean, there is a, a medical use for this. So there, there are there, there are glasses. I'll put a link to this. Um, there, Avena is the company, and they basically use uh, ultrasound to be able to see veins. It's really only used to see veins for giving IVs and stuff. But it, it looks very similar. Like it's like the first mm-hmm. step on this this X-ray path, in my opinion. Oh, I like that you brought that up, Dan, because sound is a potential other yeah. tool that you could use to see inside things. We do ultrasounds all the time. The other thing I like about these, everything was green. Hmm. Because what you're probably using, of course, is not light, right? You're using all other wavelengths, maybe shorter, longer, and creating a computer image for yourself to look at. And green is just a nice, simple, clean, single color to look at. By using only a single color, you know, even if you're colorblind, you can know what you're looking at. <laughs> So, I, you know, I, I, I like the, you know, the whole effect of just sticking with green is what you're portraying everything as. Hey, look, if it's good enough for the Commodore 64 and the Apple IIe, it's good enough for future technology. Exactly. Campaign. Green is the color we're most sensitive to. So Is that true? Well, I know I am, but I, it's my favorite color, but I didn't know we were most sensitive to it. I, that, that sounds subjective. That doesn't sound very objective, Ben. No, it's very objective. Is the, it? The, the, um, the cell, the, like the rod cells, the, the peak in sensitivities in the, at the green area. Huh. That's why like highway signs are green and things like that. I did not know that. That is fascinating. That's really, uh, that's, that's the fascinating gadget to gizmo. That's the fascinating part of that. Uh, so let's, let's move on. So let's talk about some, this one's a little tricky. Now, we, we've tackled, you know, we don't just do a podcast, guys. We do lots of panels. You can see us live in a lot of different places. And one of the things we've kind of tackled in some of these places are holograms or, you know, what, what's commonly referred to as holograms. In the show, they do a really fun thing where they have this almost like a portable uh, hologram telephone kind of thing where they, you know, well, it's, it's that's one aspect of it. The other aspect is part of um, part of a museum and everything. But they have holograms in this. What did you guys well, – let's talk about these because I, I thought this was super interesting. And we got two things here because one's a recorded image one is an active live line like a phone. Right. But they may use the same visual technology. Then I'm going to go with you first. What, what, what are these? How can we achieve this from a physics standpoint? So pretty much they're basically projections. Okay. Um, as you alluded to, holograms in the strict physics sense always involve lasers to create the hologram and then either lasers or white light to look at the hologram. And if you're using white light to look at it, it still looks kind of funny. Color in true holograms is hard to get right because of the way they work. Mm. This, what I liked about it, so there's a lot of hologram-like things that come from clever projection techniques. I like the ring design. Okay. Because at the core, that's probably the way you're going to get depth by projecting from multiple angles. Now, what the actual screen is, what you're projecting on, was a little less clear to me. That's really an engineering problem. I just declare mm-hmm. the physics. We have stuff coming from all sides. Awesome. You're going to see a 3D image. I'm done. But, you know, right. I give the hard stuff to, to Ben here to look at the engineering. <laughs> so, when I, yeah, so how does that work then? So my thinking actually was that because what I liked about it being a ring is I imagined like a ring of like maybe mini projectors mm-hmm. along the inside surface of the ring. And the ring would detect when people come up to it, and it could project that image straight into your eyes. So I kind of think that what we see in the in the show is the perspective of the people around the rings, mm-hmm. and not necessarily what a camera would see if it was actually there. Hmm. Okay. Like they're designed to like 
shoot lasers or light straight into your eyes and not necessarily work for a broad spectrum of the room. Oh, that's kind of cool. And what I like about that, Ben, is there could be cameras around the outside detecting where you are in your angle. Yeah. Little computerized, you know, basically miniature um, computers and processing to then determine what image gets sent um, to you. Yeah, it kind of reminds me of the the fake or not fake the the light sets they now use on movies, where they detect in three D space where a camera is, and then reproject the walls hmm. to match the m- motion of the camera. Right, that's really interesting. You know, this is this is one of those kind of I think the nut that everyone's been trying to crack ever since we saw Princess Leia in Star Wars. I mean, this is like yes. a really fun thing, uh, and you know, one of the things so. There are a couple of really cool technologies people are working on, and and one of the things you mentioned, holograms, one of the things that they're doing at BYU is basically trapping a photon and holding it in air and basically guiding it, and our persistence of vision allows us to see an image, because as you mentioned, that's the hard part, is, is what is this projected on? How are we seeing light basically hovering in midair like that's the you know that's the real hard thing here so if you use what's basically moving a sparkler in front of you technology that kind of works but but also this other cool thing the projection thing i think is where the real the real meat and potatoes is here there is actually a lot of there are a lot of people working on a hollow deck as a matter of fact one is 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 this gene roddenberry of you know uh, his son of star trek fame his son is investing in a place uh, it's called Left Field Lab in San Jose, and they're working on a very similar projection system that actually works where you can walk in and see things. That's not coming from the ground. It's coming into your eyes. But I think th- people are working on these projection systems that are, are very accurate and very interesting. Actually, you just something you just said, Dan, reminded me of a very simple basic physics thing that we always teach in intro physics, which is the difference between a virtual and a real image. Mm-hmm. When you make and you lose use lenses to bend and focus light... Sometimes the image is something that you would have to put a screen up to see. And sometimes the image you actually see simply because it goes directly in your eye, like Ben said. And so, again, this idea of projecting where you don't need a screen, it's just your eye that is the screen, Mm. is probably that simple, elegant engineering solution we've been looking for. Hmm. So I really like where Ben went with that. (laughs) Simple, elegant engineering solutions. Uh, That should be on your business card, Ben. I really like that. The enigmatic engineer, simple, elegant engineering. You just need museum displays that track everybody's eyes in 3D space. Right. So one other quick thing on that. So does is that projection technology that can really be attributed to whether to a recorded message, image, whatever, and a live television t- telephone feed? I would say if you have a 3D scan of the thing you're projecting, it doesn't matter. Okay. Yeah. Because you can just with. I mean, now we use like video game engines to do this work, mm-hmm. and you just. You know, pick a different point for the camera, which mm. is not your eye, right? And you generate the image for that location. Yeah, definitely camera or recorded image, Dan. Yeah, I don't see a problem with either one. Awesome. I mean, look, we have FaceTime now. What what comes next? Yeah, three D hologram talking. That makes sense to me. Although, you know, I got to tell you, video chat took a lot longer to for us to get and make it mainstream than it should have. I mean, when I watched Back to the Future two, I thought this stuff was going to be pretty readily available at the turn of the century and it wasn't really which is no, it, well it's bandwidth in the internet it's bandwidth in your computer we're making yeah, it we're getting right. it that's fair it's a secret government conspiracy <laughs> what isn't right yeah. what isn't so let's move on one of the cool really cool things about this show and and one of what i think you know when i'm watching the show i believe it was episode five 
But I, I really genuinely think Episode 5 should have, should be nominated for an Emmy if it's not. This was the coolest way to tell a story I've ever seen. And this is where Angela takes her grandfather's nostalgia pills. And the, the basically what they are is they're memories inside of a pill that she takes and then can relive uh, her grandfather's memories. So now this we just did an episode, Morty's Mind Blowers. Our last episode was on a device yeah. that lets you do this. The kind of trick here that's a little bit different is this is in pill form, and, yes. and they do some really fun things about invasive memories. So with Morty's Mind Blowers, they were putting their own memories back into their own head. But the kind of trick yeah. here is it's in pill form, and it's someone else's memories. I'm going to go with you first on this, Ben, because you're kind of working on yeah. neural nets and stuff like this. You know about the brain. What's going on here? Yeah. Well, they do say you're not supposed to take other people's nostalgia. Right, And yeah. that's for a good reason, because these little mini robots, and we see an animation of this. There's these little robots that are, like, hanging out on your neurons and mm -hmm. doing work <laughs> to your neurons. You know, if, if it's not the right brain, if it's not the brain they're trained for, they're going to do some serious damage to your yeah. to your memories and to your, your sane your sanity right i think they showed that really well mm -hmm. how the memories are getting mixed up because these little robots they don't they're just programmed to rebuild the memory they're not they don't know they don't know if the their host is just forgotten everything that they're supposed to help them remember or if they're like overriding memories they shouldn't be overriding right well what was interesting so when we talked about morty's mind blowers I asked the question about the vacuum. If we take a memory out, what exists between the, you know, the two spots where the, the right. edits were? This yeah. is kind of inserting things where they don't belong. And as we saw in this episode, there's time differences. I mean, there's like 50 or 60 years of time difference. And you've got mm -hmm. this melding of, are these my thoughts? Are they not? It had like a very kind of like trippy LSD feel to it. You know what I mean? Yeah. And, and so uh, what I love is the, is the term... Uh, recollection infestation and and this idea that these memories would kind of breed and grow which almost gives credence to this idea that we do make the connections and if we if the memory has been implanted into our head uh, do we add on to that if we if we incorporate it into our own if we kind of assimilate it into our brain do we add on to it and then what is we don't know what's real anymore so i was hoping for a more safe way of doing this <laughs> Right. <laughs> and I was thinking more purely chemical in the following sense. Right. We we know we know we safely gain new memories all the time. Mm -hmm. Right. In principle. Doing it right now, then we're exactly, doing it right now. Right now we're getting new memories. So imagine and, and fundamentally creating a memory is a chemical process. So I was trying to think sort of like targeted drug delivery. If if you could develop targeted memory delivery right with the chemical process and system so no little mini robots no manipulating the memories no reprogramming um, electromagnetically which is what we talked about in rick and morty mm -hmm. but just a pure chemical process that mimicked the new memory creation that actually had markers maybe use some sort of genetic markers um, mm -hmm. certain proteins and enzymes to make things read and write where there's not been a memory mm -hmm. and re rely on chemistry. I don't know that... We, we certainly don't know enough now, unless Ben is unable to tell us what he actually knows, <laughs> um, to do it this way. But, you know, we're we're getting shockingly good at developing sort of targeted chemical deliveries for, you know, cancer and all sorts of other um, 
processes in the body, biological processes. So it was a thought I had as watching this, like, how would I want this to happen for me? Yeah. Well, you, you don't want us to perfectly scan your brain and make little robots that reassemble your brain for you every time you forget something. That makes me nervous. I don't know why chemical taking some sort of chemical makes me feel better. Um, you know, I, I just trust the physics. You know, where I don't know what you're going to do to those robots that you're sending back into my brain. Well, I, mm. and one of the things that's really what I love here is is this idea. I, and I guess you know, maybe I go to a more philosophical question, but you know, we, we're both we're agreeing this is probably if, if this is possible. You know, we did we did an episode on the neuralizer, right, where you're yep. zapping memories out. You know, we, again, Morty's mind blowers, are, you're cutting out and putting back in, but they they're going into spots where they existed before. This whole technology of just these someone else's memories infesting your brain, I, I just yeah. I mean, just the idea of even if we can do it, what psychological effect does that have on someone who is taking in memories from a hundred years ago that they're now believing happened to them? It's you know, it almost sounds like when people have uh, you know, past lives or whatever, when they talk about their memory regression, right? If there's any credence to that phenomenon, does this fall into that? Is this like the scientific explanation for that? You well, know? you make an interesting point, Dan, and I do wonder which way it would go. So part of me is like, well, look, I memorize stuff all the time that's not my memories. I read history books. I read novels. Those aren't even real memories. And I create these memories right yeah in my right. brain that are other people's memories like mm -hmm. i do that all the time mm -hmm. and my brain handles this process well so that's why i think a lot comes down to how it's done and so what this made me realize is you could go down the path here where it causes all sorts of problems mm -hmm. because it's done in this invasive way if you understand the brain well enough that you're rewiring quote parts of the brain and making it seem like your memories, whatever that means. Mm -hmm. But I would imagine that most likely this would naturally end up if you did it the right way, my way with chemical pills, right? Right. It would end up just like if you were reading a book. So it would end up one new memory that you recognized as a memory, but not necessarily mm -hmm. something that happened to you with no psychological trauma whatsoever, unless it's a Stephen King novel. Right. <laughs> right. Uh, well, I, I would say from the chemical perspective, it's interesting too, because the the implanting other people's memories with chemistry sounds pretty tough but what i like about the chemical thing is i mean these machines are really tiny like you see tons of them all over a neuron and a neuron's a cell like that they're not that big but what what's interesting about th thinking about this from a chemical perspective is you could imagine a pill if we if we eventually learn a lot more about neuroscience and how like uh, dementia actually works and if dementia is just the breakdown of the synapses, we could imagine, say, a chemical that helps the synapses stay connected. Mm -hmm. um, and that's effectively nostalgia, but only helps you remember your own stuff. It doesn't. Oh, right. So it just rehabilitates gone, connections that were there. Yeah. yeah. It's just not adding stuff. It's just fixing fixing things or helping maintain them yeah maintain them yeah i mean well we, we're, we're out of time for this i want to move on but i you, you, you shattered my brain there denon when you <laughs> because i think i think there is a fundamental difference between reading something knowing that you're reading something and then having a memory put into your brain like if i was if i had the memory of us having this conversation if i had your memory denon put into my brain and i both saw myself talking to you and then talking to myself right like that right? would be i think that there there there's a, a mix there but we're not talking about us having the exact same experience from both sides of that and what's happening to her were two totally different experiences oh, yeah. happening. 
So, so there is a difference, but, but I don't know. There's, there's something going on there. Um, but let, let's move on because uh, there's a couple of things I want to get to before, before we finish up here. The, this one's going to be kind of tricky to do quickly, but uh, there's, there's a whole teleportation element here. The, the CX924 teleportation window. We've talked about, you know, we talked about other dimensions and everything like that. Uh, you know, we've talked about, friends, we've handled this in other episodes. So with, with these particular transporters in this episode, they have the window and they put a basketball into it and it kind of, they don't know where it's going to appear, right? Like, I don't think they've cap- right. mastered the technology. Is that... Is that part accurate, or would we, if this was possible, would we know where it was going into and coming out of? Well, I think if it was, say, quantum nonsense teleportation, where you somehow manipulate the the quantum wave function of this object to have it random, you know, to have it appear somewhere else, which is extremely improbable, but technically possible. Yeah, maybe it just appears somewhere randomly, (laughs) and you don't. You don't know where it's going to end up. Yeah, it would fundamentally, <laughs> if you're doing it as a wave function, have a number of different places it could show up. And it would show up in one of them. And you may not be able to control it. So quantum teleportation, you may not be able to control. I'm just fascinated that they're using this technology to throw basketballs through. But that's a whole separate other question. <laughs> you know? Well, it, it's either in one spot or it's in all of them. Or it's in all of them. Well, it's in all of them until you observe it. <laughs> And figure out which one it is. Yeah, exactly. Observation <laughs> is key here. I, I I do like the idea of focusing on the quantum aspect and having an uncertainty in that consistency. Um, you know, very few, most of the teleporters we've talked about in the past, we've quickly gone away from the quantum to other ways of teleporting around. No, it's very true. I mean, this was, you know, this is kind of, you know, this is pretty run-of-the-mill teleportation stuff. Uh, I did like that they were able to transport giant squids, like gigantic things, uh, which I don't know that the windows are that big or even what Adrian uses to transport it. I'm a little confused on how they got something that big to transport. I don't know how that transport teleportation worked. Uh, Maybe transportation. it shrunk and then grew. It's a combination uh. shrinker teleporter. Makes Ooh. sense. Yeah, maybe he. It was a fast-growing clone squid that <laughs> fast grew in air while yeah. it was falling. Yeah. Uh, so one of the other things that in this episode, arguably, we've got two texts left. These are two of my favorites. Of course, we save them for the end. I love this, and this kind of just hit me on a bunch of different levels. I love this idea of mesmerism using. Uh, using movie projectors. And this is the kind of stuff that was very popular in comic books back way back away. Like this this felt like a real comic book storyline from the 1940s or 50s. I love that. Uh, but this is going to be a little tricky, but is there... And I'm going to go to you first, Ben, with this because you're mm-hmm. brain stuff. Is right. <laughs> there any kind of evidence that would show that flashing of lights, you know, we can talk about hypnosis. I've got a couple things on here about hypnosis here, right. but is there anything with flashing of lights would be able to make you more suggestible in the way that they're they're talking about here? Um, I, I don't think there's any real research, or I don't think anyone's like found the, you know, magic sequence of light flashes that, you know, hypnotizes you, but obviously hypnotism is a real thing right. like people can be suggested mm-hmm. i don't know if it's so so powerful that you could get the effects that you see in right. the show where people are murdering each other generally hypnosis doesn't make you do things you wouldn't do anyways because yeah but ben who's to say those people didn't want to do that well it's it, that's or that we all don't yeah maybe we all maybe it taps into those primal urges that we all have gives us the excuse 
Um, but w what I do know is that the your eyes are the highest bandwidth interface to your brain. Like, so if you're going to get some sort of weird secret message into your brain, the eyes are the way to do it because, mm -hmm. you know, that that's where we gather the most information from. And, and you know, Dan, to your point, all I keep thinking of when I thought of this and saw this is all the subliminal messages that are embedded in the, you know, pre previews before, well, not the previews, the ads before the previews that make me go out and buy soda and popcorn. And and that's without any flashing lights. That's just go buy soda and popcorn. <laughs> well, no, then that's true. I mean, there there are lots of techniques that use flashing lights. The idea, you know, for hypno for hypnosis, getting into a relaxed state. I mean, what's more relaxing than going and watching a movie? You know, right. And a lot of yeah. this stuff, the, the message. You know, he he finds someone delivering the message that they can't really hear because they're not they're hearing it, but they're not actively hearing it right like it's not part of the movie it's this subliminal subtle underneath message right. audio but an audio message going to their ears one of the things and i don't know how this this pertains and maybe this doesn't work but the key seems to be this crystal that they have because they have all these instruction booklets and they've got these crystals laid out i don't know that that does anything um outside is there any is there any non-magical explanation and why those crystals would work better well a, a crystal could be it could be a like a quartz crystal that vibrates at a very specific frequency and that's like the frequency of hypnosis or something mm -hmm. yeah so it, could, oh, I see. it okay. could do that it also could just be the way the crystals cut to focus the light mm, yeah okay right that you and and to be basically a prism right you mm -hmm. want certain wavelengths and certain colors so the crystal is sort of basically guiding the light Got it. It's your light guides. Okay. So, yeah, and definitely if you're going to do anything non-magical with light, crystals because of their, you know, index of refraction and their light properties will be the things you probably pick. Okay. That makes sense. I mean, this just it is my favorite phenomenon from from the TV show. Well, I also like that they make it portable. Right. <laughs> right. Yeah. Uh, last one here, and this is really how would you guys improve? This is the funniest moment in here. Uh, when they have that trap door, when uh, when when the FBI agent is is sitting in the trap door and it and it just doesn't activate, you know, Mister Burns, it's very Mister Burns ish, yeah. where yeah. like he's got to go step on it. So, how would you guys build a, in quick terms? How would you guys build a trap door that would be better than this? Uh, I'm going to go with Denon first, and now we'll end it with our engineer. So, I'm I'm very old school. I know it might give it away, but I would just have a string attached to the latch that I just pulled, right? So that it definitely works. I mean, you'd have to hide the string and do something clever but yeah you know why why we look i do a lot of escape rooms uh -huh. and it's always the electromagnetic high-tech stuff that's failing mm -hmm. and the old-fashioned standard just mechanic analog stuff just works right so i would just stay analog okay go analog well you been so so what i saw when she was pressing the button is that was moving a little bit and it seems like it was getting stuck mm -hmm. so it seemed to me like she has a bad quick release method uh, one of the things people don't always realize about like latches is that if there's a if there's weight on them they don't necessarily work very well mm -hmm. so i wonder if they tested it with an actual you know fully weight dummy in the chair <laughs> right or if they just tested it with the empty chair and with the empty chair the sliding mechanism that releases it was able to move freely but then if you put you know another hundred something pounds on there um there's too much friction and it can't pull properly anymore right so or they forgot to lubricate it and they need 
So what would you do to improve it? Would you just have? Well, you got to make sure. Well, one, you got to test it. Right. You got to test it with, you know, put like the heaviest dummy you can get in there. Yeah. And then, you know, you got to maintain. You got to make sure you lubricate and do regular testing to make sure it works. Testing, maintenance, lubrication. Those are the keys to trapdoor success from our enigmatic engineer. Uh, so if you have any ideas for the trapdoor, if you got some, if something we overlooked here, you can get in touch with the show on Twitter at F triple G B T pod at on Facebook at F triple G B T or just type in fascinating gadgets, gizmos, gear based technologies. And we like to talk about this stuff on social media. I, I know I do. I, I post lots of different, different, all kinds of news articles and stuff that we end up talking about on the show. Um, but then, and how can people get in touch with you? They can find me at Den and Michael, both uh, Twitter and Instagram. Mm-hmm. And if they really want to use, go old school and use Facebook, right. it's at Prof Den and Michael, P-R-O-F. Only for Facebook, Prof Den and Michael. Only for Facebook. Ben, how can people get in touch with you? Uh, you can get in touch with me on all the major social media networks at B Seepser. How do you spell that? E-S-I-E-P-S-E-R. So when you say major social media networks, do you all, does that list update weekly, monthly? Like what are the major social media platforms or what are you talking about there? Uh, Facebook, Twitter, Instagram. Uh, I think we covered that. GitHub. 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 Is Not TikTok though. No, I don't have a TikTok. You Snapchatter? I, I have a Snapchat, but I don't think. <laughs> it's okay. You can try. Yeah. You can try me on Snapchat. I'd like to see the filters. I'd like to see you in some funky Snapchat filters, if we're really being perfectly honest here. Uh, so I'm pretty easy to find, especially if you follow the instructions I'm about to give you. Uh, I am at Analytical Mastermind on Facebook, at the Daniel J. Glenn on Instagram, and at Daniel J. Glenn on Twitter. So this has been great. We've covered a lot of technology. We're putting a lot of very potentially dangerous information into your hands. Use it responsibly. Be a superhero, not a supervillain. Until next time, thank you for listening. Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies is a Glencoe production and is produced by me, Daniel J. Glenn. The Fascinating Gadgets, Gizmos, and Gear-Based Technologies introduction was produced by Daniel J. Glenn and Paul Springers with music and sound design written and performed by Paul Springers. If you like the show, if you love the show, even if you're on the fence about the show, you got to subscribe to never miss an episode. You can find us on all the major podcasting platforms that's apple Podcasts, google play tune in stitcher and spotify and if you don't want to go and search those out we got links on the website f triple g is the site you can find links to subscribe and also links to every episode that we've done including audio versions and some video on youtube and you know we talk about lots of science in real life science lots of articles lots of videos those are on each individual show's web page and of course if you like this show you're gonna like everything that i do go to danieljglenn.com to find out more thank you for listening